Welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte. We are the Pleasure Mechanics, and on this podcast, we have honest, explicit, yet wholesome conversations about sex, pleasure, and the joy of intimate connection. Come on over to PleasureMechanics.com, where you will find all of the resources we have generated for you since we zipped into our Pleasure Mechanics uniforms in 2006, dedicating our lives to sharing effective strategies so you can experience more pleasure, joy, and connection. You'll find it all at PleasureMechanics.com. In today's episode, we are continuing our conversation with Emily Nagoski, focusing on what she called the most game-changing strategy in her new book, Come Together, the Science and Art of Creating Lasting Sexual Connections. And that is the seven core emotions laid out as your personal emotional floor plan. And this is a strange idea at first, right, to map your emotions as a floor plan. And so as I read about this in the book, and as Charlotte and I, like we started talking about this, it became more and more clear to me that this was a forever strategy, that this is one of those Nagoski offerings that will stick with us, will become part of pleasure mechanics language, will become part of how we understand sexuality, because it's brilliant because it's a really clear way to understand how we move in between emotional states and why it's so hard for us sometimes to find our way to lust. It is such a helpful idea that we actually want to find these rooms next door to lust is how she talks about it. And that that is so much easier for us to get to. And then when we're in those spaces of care, play or seeking, then it becomes much easier to get to lust from there. Right. And it's rooms, but it's also pathways and hallways and understanding the connection for you specifically between these states. Yeah. And then we get into nuance about it. And honestly, Charlotte and I have not stopped talking about the care space Mm. and how um, big a room care is. But there's parts of the room of care that are more adjacent to lust and parts that are further away, especially for overburdened parents and people who do a lot of caretaking. And Emily Nagoski actually covers this in this interview. So let's dive in. And then after Emily Nagoski lays this out for us, uh, we're going to talk about how we have used this tool and developed a guide for you all that helps us map our personal pathways to lust. So there's a lot we can do with this framework. We can talk about care so much more. We can talk about play so much more, and we will. But right now, we want to encourage us all to start looking at this tool with a specific lens of how do we find our specific, unique pathways to lust? And to understand that and have a visual on it will give us so much more access towards taking the actions to move us out of rage, panic, grief, fear, stress, and towards play, care, seeking, and ultimately lust. 
as we engaged with this tool, we loved it so much that I just couldn't help myself. I developed a new video teaching, a guided exploration into how we can map these seven core emotions and start finding our unique paths to lust. You'll find it in the Pleasure Pod, which is our members-only arena for supporting members of this show, for folks who can throw in a monthly small donation to keep this show alive, to keep us supported as independent sex educators, and to let us continue our service to you all. Join us at pleasuremechanics.com pod. Your first month is absolutely free, so you can join, explore this exercise, and get on our live monthly group call with the Pleasure Mechanics community and surprise guests from our team of pleasure all around the world. And yeah, pleasuremechanics.com slash pod is where you will find the guided exploration to this game-changing strategy that can really shift how we understand our emotional states and how we navigate them. Are you ready? Here's Emily Nagoski on mapping our core emotions as a floor plan. Way sexier than it sounds. Let's dive in. (laughs) And this big section on the emotional floor plan, can you lay out why you found that so important to include and what it offers us? This for me was the tool that helped me move towards something better in my own erotic connection. Um, Because it wasn't that I didn't like the sex that was available to me in my relationship. I knew that like if I could just get there, whatever that means, if I could just get in the mood, if I could like put my skin against my partner's skin and not cry and fall asleep, that we would have a good time. Mm -hmm. And yet I couldn't. Like I couldn't. I just I had lost the ability to can. I was stuck someplace. And I tried to find out where it was I was stuck and how to get unstuck out of that place and into the place that I wanted to be, which was the lust space. So I looked at the affective neuroscience. I want to mention that it is totally bananas that in 2024, there is not one agreed upon model for how human or even mammalian emotion works. There's at least three really big models for how emotion works. At least three, probably more. I picked the one that included sex. And it's Jacques Panksepps, famously known as the rat tickler, the father of affective neuroscience. And he looked at how the structures of mammalian brains build a foundation of emotion. And then I made up a metaphor to make it useful. Thank you for that. Because I've read so the science I, I, and until the metaphor, it was so much more an idea. And then it became a strategy. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. Um, so Jacques Panksepp suggests that there are seven primary process emotions. These are your foundational emotions. Um, you may be like, there's emotions missing from this. Pl-. That's correct. There are emotions missing. He would say that they are secondary or tertiary process emotions. But if you would like other emotions in your emotional floor plan, you go ahead and put them in there. Um And one of the spaces, one of the emotional spaces that we can be in is the lust space, which is the mammalian system that motivates courtship and sexual play. Mm -hmm. And that's the one I wanted to get to. I wanted to get to the lust space. 
Um, so as I looked at his model of these seven primary process emotions, it seemed like there were a few pleasure positive spaces, some pleasure, some spaces where it was easier to access pleasure and other spaces where it was for sure uh, more difficult to experience pleasure. I call those pleasure adverse spaces. Um, let me start with the pleasure adverse spaces because most people find it easier to recognize those. <laughs> um, the first two are ye oldie fight or flight. So there's the rage space, which is anger, um, everything from slight irritation and annoyance up through rage itself. Uh, rage is the biological motivation to move toward and destroy something that's in your way. Hatred is the motivation to move toward and destroy something that is in your way. Uh, and some people were raised to believe that it was one of the only emotions they're allowed to experience. And other people are raised to believe that they don't have a rage space. Mm-mm. I just, I just never get angry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> then there's the flight part, which is the fear space. And that's everything from uh, slight worry all the way up to terror. And, uh, I'm just going to give away the ending right now. That's where I was. I was so stressed, constantly running, trying to do more, wondering if what I was doing enough so that when, and like, I literally wrote a book about stress management. Uh, So my insight was like, oh, one of the evidence-based strategies for completing the stress response cycle is connection with safe people. So I put my body in the bed and I let my skin touch my partner's skin and my body went, oh good, I'm safe now. And I could cry. Mm -hmm. And what followed Mm -hmm. when I, so that's me like using connection and the sort of like release process of crying to move out of the fear space. But then where was I? Mm It turned out uh, I was so physically exhausted and worn out that uh, I had to take care of my basic bodily needs next before I could get into any kind of emotional space. So I would cry and fall asleep Mm -hmm. to get out of the fear space and into what I call the utility room, Mm. right? And then there's a third pleasure adverse space, which is panic grief. Mm -hmm. And this is when you feel trapped and isolated and alone and like uh, you cannot get connection with other people. Um, It is maybe the most dangerous of the rooms and the one people identify with least because we talk so much about fight or flight and we talk less about fawn, Mm -hmm. right? Or flock, as a stress response of like going to be with our people in order not to be safe. Um, if you imagine an infant whose only problem right now is that they're lonely and they cry. And because they live in a home where their adults take adequate care of them, most of the time somebody comes and picks them up soon enough. But if Nobody comes to pick them up soon enough. The crying escalates into an intense, despairing wail. And then the baby shuts down. And that's why it's called panic grief, is the the switch that happens as the body recognizes that there is nothing it can do to get this need met. And so it's going into an energy reserve state, uh, dorsal, for those of you who are... Mm -hmm following the polyvagal Mm -hmm. part of this. 
And I want to name that state for people who have put a lot of effort into a sex life and not gotten um, met or for people who feel despair about meeting a partner or who don't feel their authentic self with a partner they have, that kind of collapse and giving up. Um, It's where are my people? They're nowhere. I'm alone in that panic state. And that's a very lonely room. And you can be surrounded Mm -hmm. by people. You can be across the table from your spouse and still be there. But you're sitting in the dark. Yep. So panic, rage, and fear. We know those These are the pleasure (laughs) adverse spaces. And generally, there's not a direct path into the lust space from any of these spaces. I do on my emotional floor plan. So what we're going to ultimately do is build a map of how our emotions all relate to each other. And in my emotional floor plan, because I was raised as a girl and then a woman and I identify as a woman in America in the 20th and 21st centuries, I have a turnstile out of my lust space into the fear space. (laughs) A one-way turnstile. (laughs) It is a one-way turnstile. It only goes in one direction. I cannot get to the lust space from the fear space directly, but oh, I can get to the fear space directly from the lust space because 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 Mm -hmm. America Mm -hmm. And and let's face it, way more than just America. It's the global patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was an important insight for me to know that, like, if I'm in that stressed fear space, I cannot go directly into the lust space. I have to get out of the fear space and into a space that is adjacent to the lust space, a room next door to the room where it happens. Do, 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 (laughs) do. There will be some Hamilton people (laughs) who get that. So let's talk about the pleasure. Pleasure adverse. Mm -hmm. What is the word I actually use in the book? Pleasure favorable. Because I borrowed that term favorable from the ACE community. Mm. Pleasure favorable spaces. Um, One of them is care which many people will recognize as like feeling held and cared for and understood and like your needs are being met. That experience, that emotional experience for a lot of people, if you're in that space, there is a doorway directly into the lust room from that space. Mm-hmm. Not for me. Mm-hmm. And care is complex because care is also caretaking taking care of, the way we take care of children, the way we take care of people who are ill. Um, So the care space is really huge. It is so important for mammals and for humans in particular. Mm -hmm. Care is huge and important. And so if you... But notice care care goes into fear. Care goes into despair, right? Like those those hallways are there. And for so many of us, care can become... Care goes into rage. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's. I think of it as an open floor plan sp- space. It's like the living room and the kitchen and the den all sort of open. Mm-hmm. And when you're in like the living room sofa fireplace part of care, mm-hmm. where you're feeling that like warm, cozy, mm-hmm. held feeling, that's the part of care mm-hmm. that leads into lust. Mm-hmm. If you're in the kitchen <laughs> doing the taking care of right. cl- cleaning up other people's messes, probably. Yeah. There is not a pathway directly from there into the lust space in your brain, right? 
Um, so care is complex. And I think this is the explanation. This is sort of like the affective neuroscience story underpinning the cultural conversation around whether intimacy is the foundation of uh, an erotic connection or it's the antithesis of an erotic connection. Because yeah. caring for, feeling held and safe and connected, polyvagal theory is super 100% clear that that's excellent for where connection happens and where sexuality and pleasure can be experienced. And also there's this taking care of state where we're in the care space, but we're also in sympathetic activation mm -hmm. of like fear of there being ne negative consequences if we don't engage in certain behaviors. So care is complicated. So let's talk about the other two and let the record show my care space does not have a door into the lust space. Mm -hmm. People, very. Mm -hmm. And I spent a long time feeling like I should, mm -hmm. should yep. have a doorway between connection and lust. And I just don't. Mm -hmm. And I decided it was okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the other pleasure favorable spaces is seeking. So this is curiosity and exploration and adventure and learning. So when I was in grad school, I only ever dated other grad students, and we would spend most of our time talking about each other's research. And there, there is a direct path for me between <laughs> talking about science and my last space. She's not like the other girls. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in like a, the most irreverent way. Because uh, I recognize that not everyone finds talking about science to be like, and I'm super interested in putting my tongue in your mouth now. <laughs> and that seeking that what if it could be for knowledge, it could be for new physical yes. experiences, right? We all have our different spectrums. It could be going to an art museum. Mm -hmm. It could be trying a new recipe or going to a culinary class. I have friends who sold their stuff and went on a, an adventure around the world backpacking. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a nightmare to yeah. me. But they loved it. Stuff would go wrong all the time. And they found the like collaborative problem solving, new adventures every day really was like mm -hmm. right next door to their lust space. Mm -hmm. And people vary mm -hmm. just as not everybody's into affective neuroscience as like, you know, foreplay, not everyone's into backpacking and having to find right. a way to wash their last pair of underwear. Right. As like a turn on people vary. Um, so seeking shows up in a lot of different ways. One of my favorite, very outdated examples is actually from uh, the Douglas Copeland novel, Microsurfs. It's this 90s novel about people who work for Microsoft. Um, and two people fall in love over a message board and they don't know anything about their real lives. They don't know what age they are. Each other is they don't know what gender they are they don't know anything and they fall in desperate dire love with each mm -hmm. other and for me that's the only pop culture example of an actual sapiosexual that i know of yeah. where it doesn't matter what's true about your physical thing that mind is what I want to fuck. I sometimes say to lovers, I want to lick your brain. Yes. Yeah. And that seeking yeah, feels just, just like a, a long hallway full of possibilities for me. And like, again, all of our floor plans are so personal and we can really um, claim them as our own. Um, yeah. So care, seeking, and then play. play. 
which turned out to be like the key for me Mm. and for so many people. So play is the mammalian motivational system for friendship. Mm. We all mammals engage in behaviors just for the fun of it, just because we enjoy it. And no, there's nothing at stake. There's nothing to lose. And everybody plays just just because they like it. Mm-hmm. There's no purpose to it. And there's uh and that's that's how humans make friends. There are so many different kinds of play. Um we can recognize a lot of childhood play. There's story play, of course, where you make up stories together. There's object play where you sort of figure out what a new object is and then you're like, "What can I do with this object?" Uh when babies learn to like they're like, what is this in the tub? It's water. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is water. What can I do? What can I make this do, this water? And they learn to splash, right? And as you pointed what out if- in the book, I was like, right. And that's so much how we play with one another's bodies. And some of us yes. get so hyper fixated on what can we make this body do? What yeah. is this? And what can I make it do? <laughs> yeah. Versus the story what- and the drama, right? That's a different kind of lovemaking. It's a different kind of play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's rough and tumble play, Mm -hmm. competitive play versus collaborative play. Mm -hmm. This is why this space is so rich for so many people. And when I talk about this and people go, oh, Mm -hmm. vacation sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you can shed all your other responsibilities and identities that are not pleasure favorable and just slip into the state of low stakes enjoyment. And for a lot of people, because it's such a ventral space, it's so connected, it feels so sta- safe, the stakes are so low, it is really easy to slide into the lust space from there. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's like a slide into a ball pit. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so one of the main things that happened for me, because I am a sex educator, is that I was taking this problem very fucking seriously. I was like, I must hyper-focus and fix this problem. And perceiving my own sexuality as a problem was an excellent way (laughs) to make sure it didn't work. And my husband is a cartoonist. The reason Mm. the subtitle of the book is The Science and Art of Creating Lasting Sexual Connections is because he drew the illustrations Mm -hmm. in the book. So all the floor plans that you see illustrated in the book and in the PDF, if you get the audio book, are by him. Uh, So as a cartoonist, he wrote jokes for a living for many years. And he makes jokes and laughs and plays all the time. And I had to learn not to take myself so fucking seriously (laughs) Mm -hmm. and to like go into the play space with him Mm -hmm. when I could laugh and not take myself seriously and let it be silly Mm -hmm. that was where because he couldn't come to the affective neuroscience seeking space with me uh and for a long time I like he would make jokes when I would talk about science Mm -hmm. and I would feel like he was dismissing me Mm. when I was I was basically trying to initiate sex and he'd make a joke and I'd be like, what? And I, mm-hmm. I had to learn to go to the play space with him. And it turns out I am a better person mm. when I have more frequent and easier access to the play space in my brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So not only did our sexual connection improve vastly, mm-hmm. 
I improved as a person and a partner. Mm-hmm. And before we continue, I want to thank our sponsors for this episode. We have a sponsor for the care room and we have a sponsor for the playroom. In the care room, we want to thank Factor Meals. Factor's delicious, ready-to-go meals make eating better every day so easy. With delicious, chef-created meals curated to your specific dietary needs and preferences, you will always have a fridge full of delicious, nourishing food and meals to go like smoothies and salads, things that you can grab for work, perhaps. And for so many of us who spend way too much time in caretaking, a service like this can be such a friend allowing us to nourish ourselves with healthy, delicious food. So we don't have to eat out as often, but we still get delicious whole meals ready to go for you or your whole family. Head to factormeals.com slash pleasure 50 and use the code pleasure 50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pleasure 50 Use the code PLEASURE50, you'll get 50% off your first set of meals, and you can experience for yourself what it's like to be able to grab and go with a delicious, whole, chef-designed meal just for your tastes. Big thanks to Factor Meals for feeding us and you. That's factormeals.com slash pleasure50. And as we move into the play space, especially that place that's adjacent to lust, right? We need things to warm us up into the lust space. And for some of us, one way we like to play is with stories and words and language, having our imaginations lit up with possibilities. We do this with shows like Game of Thrones and epic sagas where we are swept away into alternate worlds. Our friends at DipsyStories.com provide an app full of really erotic stories and lush soundscapes to ignite your erotic imagination and sweep you away into fantasy, which is one of my favorite realms of play. It's where my imagination knows that anything is possible and I can see how my body responds to different things from the safety of my own imagination. It's a beautiful place to play and Dipsy Stories makes it so easy with their full libraries full of possibilities to ignite your specific desires. Go to dipsystories.com slash pleasure and you will get a full month free to all that Dipsy has to offer. That's dipsystories.com slash pleasure, D-I-P-S-E-A, dipsystories.com slash pleasure for your first month free. You will find these resources along with some of our other favorite tools and toys at pleasuremechanics.com slash toolbox. That's pleasuremechanics.com slash toolbox for all of the generous offers from our sponsors. Big thanks to the sponsors of this episode. And now back to Emily Nagoski and the emotional floor plan. Mm -hmm. And so as we map these spaces for ourselves, there's almost kind of if you're in a relationship with one person or multiple people, there's a way of kind of creating an overlay and starting to figure out, as you said, strategies, you can't get into this room with me, but this doorway is wide open for both of us. What are some other ways that you practically engage this tool 
Um, at the beginning of the interview, you said like, this has made such a big difference. Is there one other yeah. way like you're uh, activating this in your daily life that you can share with us? The, so one of the myths that I wish to bust, in addition to like, keep the spark alive, like let's eliminate that idea from how we think about sex and long-term relationships. Mm. Let's also eliminate the idea that if you have to talk about sex, it means there's a problem. What do you think people mean when they say spark? That's just spontaneous desire. Yeah, I think it I think they mean spontaneous desire. And attraction so and desirability, right? Like this piece of like easy to get into a sexual, like it should be so easy to get into the lust space, no matter what has happened in your day, no matter what emotional space you're uh -huh. in. One of the things that was valuable about this idea of an emotional floor plan for me was it gives you a metaphor for showing I'm over here. I would love to join you mm -hmm. in the lust space. And how are we going to get me out of the kitchen? Because mm -hmm. I'm over here doing all the actual laundry and caretaking. And I do all the, these things that keep me in this space. And there are consequences if I leave this space. So I need some help, right? The metaphor of the floor plan, it makes as concrete as I could make it, Look how it doesn't make any sense to expect the lust space to be easy to get to all the time. Our lives and our culture do not make it so that all of us can get to the lust space easily all the time. Yeah. And that each room has a function and a purpose and there might be a reason yes. to be there, like a very valid reason to be in grief or in panic. Absolutely. And that if we can be joined there, sometimes it's easier to leave together. Um, sometimes you need an invitation into another room, right? It's a really rich metaphor to remind ourselves that we are not stuck and that we are not residents of any one feeling state. We are designed, yes. to, as you say, change and change together. Yeah. And to need help transitioning out of one space into another mm -hmm. is not dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. That is like when people feel like, well, I'm in, I'm in the fear space and like I owe it to my partner to get myself out of that space and into a less mm -hmm. space. Some people, I, I do it on my own and that's just how my brain works. A lot of people, well, no, that's not even true because the thing that most efficiently unlocked me was hugging my naked husband. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So like he was a pathway for me to get out of the fear space so that I could like heal my body enough to be able to get into the play space, which would take us into the less space. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and it, so it doesn't happen quickly and it, it isn't pretty or fun to look mm -hmm. at because it's crying and sleeping and then like taking a bath and having a snack. <laughs> and to honor that incremental process. Right. And this is all intimacy. Yeah. This is all eroticism. It all yep. counts in that state of connected authenticity, which is really, the heart of it. So you asked yeah. what else we had done and making it so that we could talk playfully, mm. not just like do sex playful, mm -hmm. but talk playfully. Um, in the New York Times article, there is a very clever parenthetical that uh, their inside jokes about his genitals cannot be repeated here. <laughs> That's because in the interview, Rich kept <laughs> talking about like drawing a clown face on his penis. Yes. Googly eyes go a long way. <laughs> yes. Remember when mm -hmm. I was talking about uh, glimmers? Mm -hmm. 
uh, one day I had therapy and I had not had a glimmer that day. And I said to Rich, like, uh, therapy, she's going to ask me what my, what glimmer I had today. <laughs> I don't have any glimmers. Do you have any glimmers? And he said, I can get out my dick. Yes. <laughs> and he didn't, but mm-hmm. the joke that he made mm-hmm. was my glimmer. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you so much for this conversation. We're going to have a link to the book in the show notes. And I want people to really dive into these ideas, allowing, as you say, allowing new insights, because sometimes we can feel so stuck in the assumptions, so stuck in the imperatives that, you know, the mirage of it all, we sense something else is possible. And this book really gives us a lot of pathways into more possibilities. So thank you so much for this book and this conversation. Is there anything you want to leave our folks with? The measure of our sexual well-being, not that there's a measure of it, but it is whether or not we like the sex we are having. It's not how it is not how often we do it. It's not where or with whom or what positions or what time of day or even how many orgasms we have. It's whether or not we enjoy the sex that we are having. If you're having fun, then you are doing it right. Mm -hmm. So as you can see, this is a really rich tool that as we have been exploring it in house here at the Pleasure Mechanics headquarters, it's already become part of our daily language of how we talk about our emotional experience of the world. And I'm just going to be honest, I think emotions are part of pleasure that we have underserved and not talked about enough, even in our close to 500 episodes of Speaking of Sex. And to have this coherent language about the seven core emotions that we all share, that we share even with our beloved pets, right? You start looking around in the world and witnessing this, and it gives us language to talk about it. Like you and I have talked a lot about You know, as you're planning some of your first poly dates, do you want dates that take you into care or do you want dates that take you into play? Mm -hmm. Right. What do you need to get to lust? For me, it's seeking. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it's mostly play um, with a little bit of care. I tend um, it's been really helpful to see the caretaking and how that is a little much in my life. And so seeing those distinctions and being able to kind of come back to the to come back to the care instead of the caretaking and move into play and seeking Mm -hmm. and how important that is and Mm -hmm. having the language around that and the distinction has been so useful we've referenced it like so many times this week (laughs) every day we're talking about this and that's why i want everyone to explore the pleasure pod with us do this new teaching I just created, um, map your emotional floor plans so you have this language for our continued conversations. As we said, the first month of Pleasure Pod is absolutely free, and then it's a small monthly donation to keep the Pleasure Mechanics going and keep this show on the air and allow us as two independent sex educators to continue to devote our lives to creating these resources for you. So if you have found this show helpful and you want to continue to explore with us and join our monthly live calls and join our monthly live calls where Charlotte and I will be gathering our global community for conversation and connection 
and bringing in surprise guests from our friends who are sex professionals all over the world. Um, You never know who might stop by. Um, But most importantly, to explore our resources with us, to engage with us, to go deeper with us. We can only take you so far on the podcast and we want to go deeper with you. Um, (laughs) And when it comes to this tool, so Paths to Lust became the title of this tool because, you know, we've talked about so many different elements of this tool. Um, For me, I want to have a whole episode where we talk about pathways out of the pleasure adverse spaces right and we've been talking a lot about how care is connected to those rooms like if i'm in panic grief i need to kind of send up a flare and say come get me and bring me to the other side of that wall into the care zone where i can just kind of be held um versus anger where i might need to break some shit and then walk out alone and be left alone in there right and to know that distinction and be able to say that out loud is everything Mm. Um, but for this tool, what I really wanted to do for us is to start getting really specific about those pathways to lust, because sometimes lust is a room you can't even see yet, mm-hmm. right? Like we occupy care so often, or we occupy uh, rage or sadness so much or grief that we can't even see lust. It's not even within sight, but if we can get to play and then how do we get to play? Play is on the other side of care. So let's find one another in care. Let's get to play. And we just might slip around that hallway towards the lust space. And even if we don't, time in the playroom is really rejuvenating and nourishing and can be deeply erotic. So then we start exploring our play space. And we're like, for you specifically, what kinds of play are really exciting nourishing fill you up make you feel alive because we all play differently right and you have a beautiful outline of that in the practice in the pod you name a lot of those ways we can play and it's so useful to to engage in that and to really look at what we most individually love and what makes us feel most alive and joyful and we're going to talk about play more because as i started looking at the playroom right Um, There are different kinds of play, just like there's different styles of play. And if you are really into collaborative play and your partner is really into competitive play, play might actually create friction for you. Mm -hmm. So either you can align that, find the styles of play you both like, or maybe the two of you go through seeking to get to lust instead. And you play it your own ways, right? But seeking where you're both learning and exploring something new and in that kind of energy, which maybe fulfills both the competitive and the collaborative, maybe that is what will light you up. And these are the tools we can start developing, the conversations we can start having when we have a common language about this. And so I felt so passionately about this after my conversation with Emily, I asked her permission to develop this teaching and then really sat down to think about how we can most effectively start thinking about our pathways to lust. I lay it all out in a new video teaching and you will find it waiting for you at pleasuremechanics.com pod. Join us for free. Explore. We'll be going live soon with a community call. Join us there and get a taste for what we can offer you in the Pleasure Mechanics 
community at pleasuremechanics.com slash pod. And we will be back with you next week with another episode of Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte. We are the Pleasure Mechanics. Wishing you a lifetime of pleasure. <laughs>